Thank you, Marty, for reading that challenging passage of all these names that are difficult to pronounce. So we should give Marty a hand this morning, I think. Thanks, Marty. I see you out there. Yeah, those are some tough names, and it's not necessarily a passage that, I don't know, is at the top of the list for people to choose to preach about. So, but it's my primary text today. Um, It's Romans 16, and Paul is talking about all these, he lists all these people to greet and talks about different things about them. And so I found it pretty intriguing. I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks um, what this passage is really kind of drawing us to. And I hope it captures your attention and your imagination this morning. Um, you might be thinking, what could we possibly learn from a long list of names? And obviously, but there's actually there's been books that have been written just on this chapter if you want to read them, but I'm going to keep it pretty simple and try not to stretch it too far. But there's a lot that I think we can learn from this long list of names. For one, it's not just a long list of names. What we see here is we see the church. These are real people, not much different than you and I, and maybe you don't identify with the names or recognize them too much, but these were the people who made up the church in Rome. And their names may seem like Greek to you, but that's because a lot of them were Greek. So so yeah, that's why they seem that way. We see the church here in front of us, a picture of it. And so I want to look at that this morning. What does the church look like? Just by looking at this group of people, we get an idea for ourselves. It reminds us what the church looks like. And the first thing that I notice that we see in this church here in Rome is we see diversity. We see a diverse church. First of all, we see both men and women listed here. And this is not necessarily common in that day, in that culture. Women had a fairly low status in that culture and often weren't even mentioned in literature or letters like this. But here we see pretty much almost as many women listed as men in this passage. In fact, the first person that Paul references here is Phoebe. And she appears to be the one who's delivering the letter that is being written here. She's delivering it to the church in Rome. And it reminds me somewhat of the account of Jesus' resurrection. You know, the first people to know that Jesus rose from the dead were women. And the scripture recognizes that. Mary Magdalene talks about her and meeting Jesus. And here we have Phoebe, who is mentioned first in this long list of names. And she's given this important task of delivering this letter to the Roman church. And if you look at this, she is highly commended by Paul. Is referred to as Someone in high standing in the church in Centria, probably a deaconess or some other significant leadership role. And this was a port city close to the city of Corinth. And he tells the Roman church, he says, I want you to help her out. Give her everything that she needs. Maybe she was on some other business. And that's maybe why she was taking the letter to the church in Rome. 
But he says, help her out. Whatever she needs, help her out. She has helped out a tremendous amount of people. Um, and Paul himself lists himself as a great benefactor from Phoebe. We don't exactly know what it was her ministry and how she helped people, but we know that she did help a lot of people. And so Phoebe's mentioned here first. I think Paul sometimes gets a bad rap about being maybe hard on women. But we simply don't see it in this passage. We see that he treats them as equals and that they are people that he shows great appreciation for their work and their partnership in the gospel. He also mentions Priscilla and Aquila. And one of the interesting things here is Priscilla is mentioned before her husband Aquila, which also was not common, but she's mentioned in other places in Scripture the same way. And most commentators would say that that probably means she had probably a more significant ministry than her husband Aquila, a more prominent ministry in some way. And so once again, Paul is giving recognition here without regard whether they're men or women. And so we see a significant diversity in this group here between men and women. We also see some ethnic diversity in the Church of Rome. And I'm relying on other commentators here for this information because I don't know all the names and I don't understand where they came from, but a lot of people have done some research and we see Jews in this list, we see Greeks in this list, we see Romans in this list. And so we have a diverse group of people, ethnic-wise. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about who Paul is and who he used to be. He was a Pharisee, a strict Pharisee. And he would not even, as a Jew, which is very common, would not even step in the house of anyone who was not a Jew. But here we see as a believer and a follower of Jesus, he is embracing people of all races and ethnicities as his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we see just from this passage of names, we see that the kingdom of God has no boundaries when it comes to our race or ethnicity. No boundaries around the world. I think too often, those of us who are white think of the church in our context as white Americans. Truth be told, the church is either shrinking or stagnant among white Americans, and it is growing rapidly in other parts of the world. There are indications that the church is growing the fastest in the country of Iran, and predominantly through women. It's an interesting phenomenon that's happening in the country of Iran right now. The gospel is flourishing there. And of course, it is trying to be repressed, but we know that nothing can stop the gospel. And so you have many new Iranian brothers and sisters in the Lord. I don't know if you think of the church in that kind of context, but that's part of who the church is. So not only do we see diversity through men and women and ethnicity here, but we see diversity in the social fabric of that day. Different occupations, different positions. Priscilla and Aquila, we know, were tent makers. 
uh, like Paul was. They had worked together before, earlier. Ampelitis is thought to have been part of the imperial household, part of um, Caesar's household. Aristobulus may have been a grandson of Herod the Great, and those referred to as believers in his household were likely slaves, as well as those of Narcissus' household. And then we have Tryphena and Tryphosa, interesting names, um, probably twins, twin girls, and women who were likely women of higher class or of some wealth. Their names mean delicate or luxurious, and so it gives us some indication of what they might have been born into, possibly. We have Rufus, who was maybe the son of Simon of Cyrene, if you remember him, who carried the cross of Christ. And so in this list of people, we see a very diverse group of believers. And we see the reality of what Paul tells us in Galatians 3, verse 28. If you remember that verse, Galatians 3, 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul does not minimize the differences here, or our differences, but instead he speaks to the freedom and the miracle that in Christ, none of these differences bring about any division among us. We are one in Christ, despite where we come from, what our backgrounds are, what language we speak, All of those things, whether we're men or women, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so this short passage, I think, gives us the opportunity to recognize the beauty of the diversity of the church and the wonder that happens when we meet Christ and we become one, people from whatever walk of life. I don't know if it's been your experience before, but I have experienced bumping into a believer wherever, somewhere, whether in travels or shopping or whatever, and experience an immediate bond with that person. In fact, sometimes it seems like I know before I even talk to them, like I think that's a follower of Jesus over there. And sure enough, often it is. This bond that comes, this oneness that comes through knowing Jesus. Now, it's easy, I think, for us to often focus on the many reasons why we are different. Focus on our differences. And the many reasons why maybe we should divide about this thing or that thing, whatever it might be. But in this verse, we're reminded that Jesus overrides all of those. He overrides all of those. In Christ, there is no difference between us. We are all one in Christ. And it's an amazing part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is counter to our culture and to our world. I want you to take a moment 
Those of you who are here, and if you're at home and there are believers around you, just take a moment, look around freely, just look around the congregation behind you, in front of you. And I want you to think of who you see in the church. Who is the church? And do you see the church? We see the church in this chapter, and my prayer is this morning that we would really see the church. Sometimes I wonder if we do. And I think each day is an opportunity for our hearts and our minds and our eyes to be continually expanded on who the church really is and the fact that we are all one in Christ. I don't know if you look at everyone around you and you think of the fact that If you know Jesus and they know Jesus, you're one. You're brothers and sisters or sisters and sisters, whichever way it is. You're one in Christ. Despite all the diversity. I think it's interesting that the day of Pentecost, if you're familiar, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles as they were gathered in Jerusalem, that during that time, there were Jews gathered in Jerusalem from all parts of the world, all over the world. Let me just give you the list. It says Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, from Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and Libya, Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, It's a long list of people, and this day, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and Peter preached that sermon to this huge crowd that was gathered, they were made up of all of these different people from many different nations. Yes, they were all Jewish, or had converted to Judaism, but I want you to think about what happened. It says 3,000 of them came to the Lord that day, and of course eventually went back to their home places, wherever they were living at the time. And how the gospel, we see right from the start, is here for all people, to go to all nations. We've talked about many scriptures about that recently. The gospel is for people of all different kinds, all different kinds, all different types. I think for us, when we take this Galatians 3.28, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, male nor female, maybe we ought to contextualize that for our own situation here. And maybe we could say something like this, there is neither black or white or brown or blue, there's neither American or Iranian or Palestinian or Israeli or Chinese or Indian or Mexican, you could go on. Neither male nor female, neither Baptist nor Mennonite or Lutheran or non-denominational or Methodist or Pentecostal or Catholic, it's neither Republican or Democrat, neither rich nor poor or white collar or blue collar or educated or uneducated or privileged or underprivileged. We can make a long list of differences But in Christ, we are one. 
It's the amazing power of the gospel. It's the amazing power of Jesus in our lives. And what an amazing testimony that we have to show the world the unity that can occur in Christ and through Christ. And so when I look at this list of people that are all from different places together as a church in Rome, it makes me think of our own situations here. Do we see each other as one in Christ? Do we believe that? Are we holding any barriers between us and other believers? And if we are, today's a good opportunity to get down on our knees and confess our sin and to remove that barrier because in Christ, there are no barriers, no division, no inequality, no reason to be on a high horse or look down on anyone. This is the gospel that we preach and teach and live. And it is the gospel our country and our world so desperately needs to see and to hear. So in this seemingly uninteresting list of people, we see the church. A diverse group of people who have become one in Christ. And there is no one who can bring peace and unity like Jesus. There's no one. We see a diverse church and we see love. I see this clearly in how Paul talks about these people. It just oozes out of his expressions. It's clear that he loves these people. He loves the church. You see this not only in this letter, but all the letters that he writes. He loves the church. He begins the letter to the Romans, I thank God for you. I mention you always in my prayers. I long to see you that we might be mutually encouraged. In fact, the verses before this, he talks a good bit about his desire to come and see them in person, to be there with them. He mentions 29 people in these few verses here, and he lists them by name, and he gives specific things. He points out specific things about them. He gives thanks and gratefulness and the things that he appreciates about them, and he recognizes their love for him as well. This is fascinating to me because Paul did not plant this church. In fact, when he wrote this letter, he had never been there. And so, immediately, I have to think, well, how in the world did he know all of these people if he had never even been in Rome, if he had never even been at this church? It's a mystery to some commentators as well. In fact, some of them believe that maybe this chapter was appended on in the wrong place, like it was meant to be a part of another letter to people that he actually knew where he was located before, and somehow it got stuck on the end of Romans here, but I don't know that there's any proof for that. But what I do know is that Paul loves the church. 
And this is not uncommon for him to list people by name. If you look at the other letters that he wrote, to list people by name and call them out in appreciation and love. I think Paul worked really hard at staying connected to the church. And I have to think, you know, like, sometimes we talk about the difficulty here to stay connected, or maybe it's felt difficult the last few, day, last few months with being not here in the building for a while, and then some are meeting here and some are meeting out there. But you know, Paul somehow was strongly connected with his church a long distance away, and he didn't have a cell phone or email or anything like that to communicate with them, letters, people traveling between, carrying messages. With all of those difficulties, he was even in prison many times, Paul was able to stay deeply connected with the church. I think he worked hard at it. Because he loved the church. He cared about it. He invested in them. He cared about each individual. And so he made a point, I think, to remember their names. I have a lot of difficulty in remembering names. Somebody can tell me their name, and like five seconds later, I have already lost it somewhere out there. And so I have to write them down. So you might see me after I talk with someone. I'll be on my phone making notes because... That's how I remember names. It takes, it takes work for me to do that. When we're walking in our neighborhood, we meet neighbors, and after we walk away, I'll say, okay, what was their names again? And then I'll write the names down and, so I can remember it again. It takes work to do those kinds of things or to remember details about people's lives. Or I don't know if you've ever told somebody, yeah, I'll pray for you about that, and then walk away and completely forget about it. It takes effort to remember the church, to care for the church, to invest in the church in one another. It takes a lot of effort. And I think what we see here is the effort that Paul made for the church. We see him caring for them, appreciating them, praying for them, and loving them. He was invested in them. And he knew many of them well even though he had never been in this location. It's an interesting thing to think about. And we see, too, the people that he mentioned, how they loved the church, too. Phoebe had served him and many others, and he commends her for that. Priscilla and Aquila said that they risked their lives for him. We don't know what that was, but at some point they had risked their lives for Paul. He mentions Mary and Persis and Urbanus and Tryphena and Tryphosa. They were partners in the gospel and they worked hard for the church. Andronicus and Junia were in prison with Paul. Obviously, they had been in partnership at some point, working together. And Rufus's mother, Paul says, she was like a mother to me. And so not only do we see the love that Paul had for the church, but we also see his appreciation for the love that they expressed to him as well. He calls out four people, um, and I don't know if I get these names right. I, as, I'm not good with names, so I just kind of muddle through them. Um, Amponidas, Ampliatus, Stachys, and Persis. These four 
he says he calls them beloved in the Lord, or some translations put it dear friends. So not only does he know a lot of these, but some of them are dear friends to him. Beloved in the Lord. I don't know about you, but does this feel a little bit over the top? You talk about the church, is this, is this how you feel about the church? Do you love the church? The whole church? And I'm not talking just about the people that are in this building, but the whole church, people around the world. Do you love the church? I think this may be one of the strongest messages that we see in this list of people that might seem boring to us as we kind of rush through it in our normal reading. But I think we see a strong love, both Paul for the church and the church for Paul. We see that he loves each one regardless of race, whether they're men or women or their social status. He loves each one. And so this is kind of where I want to wrap up this morning is, do you love the church? Do you love the church? And how do they know that exactly? If you do, how does the church know that you love them? Do you show interest in the church, the people in the church who make it up? Do you pray for them? Paul says he prays continually for them. Do you know them well enough that you're a safe place for them to even share with you what is really on their hearts, what they're struggling with, what they really need prayer for, or just a listening ear? Do, they, do you know them well enough that they trust you, people in the church, with those deep things in their hearts? Does the church know that you care and that you're praying for them? Paul visited people all over, even traveling thousands of miles by sea or walking or whatever way he could get there to encourage the church. It's an amazing thing if you look at his life, the miles that he covered, not just to spread the gospel, but to go back to churches he had been to and started and to encourage them, to encourage the church. He wrote letters. We know that. We're reading one here. But somehow he's able to maintain a close relationship with this church where he'd never been. Letters back then took months or maybe over a year to, to arrive at their location. There's nothing that will prevent us from being the church if we are truly committed, like Paul was, to the church. There's nothing that can stop our connection and our love and our fellowship. Nothing's going to stop that. The only thing that will stop that is we ourselves. That's the only thing that's going to stop that. And today, we have so many different ways of reaching out to people. So many different ways of showing love and caring for one another. We have our cell phones. We can call almost anyone in the world at any time. 
text messages, WhatsApp messages, email messages, video calls. Next week, Doris and I are going to be meeting with Tom and Candace in Thailand. You know, it's, it's going to be, I think, 9 in the morning at our place and 9 in the evening at their place. But it's amazing. We can sit down and talk as four people together over technology. And yeah, you can even still send a letter. It's possible. The mailman still comes. And you put it out there, and this amazing thing happens. And just a few days or weeks later, it arrives at the other person's house. I have received some really nice cards in the mail, notes of appreciation. Not just through the mail, but through text messages. I've been so blessed by the church. You know, I have my own list that I could recount like Paul has here. My own list. And I've been so encouraged by long-term mentors that I met with recently that mentored us for many years and still continue to plug into our lives and encourage us. Such a blessing. Many, many years I received a text recently from a teenager asking how they could pray for me. I don't get that many from teenagers like that. That was a blessing. That somebody said, a teenager said, how can I pray for you? We got to meet with Dorothy this past week out in the courtyard of where she's in a nursing home. Of course, she's 100 years old. It was just such a blessing. She's a part of the family of God. And I feel like sometimes when people get old, they get forgotten. Nobody sees them. But she's part of the church. And what a blessing to be there with her. We got to see Alan this past week, which I haven't seen since... Hadn't seen since February. Um, once again, met out in the safe place outside. Just to hang out and catch up. What a blessing the church has been to me. Friends that I've worked with at LCF here for over 30 years. What a blessing to still be walking together and sharing our walk with Christ together, encouraging one another. So many different ways. Our small group has been a great blessing to me this last year. People that most of them I have never been in a group with before. And we, for me, I'll speak for myself, it has just been a great time of getting to know a new part of the body of Christ that I didn't know before. And to learn from them as we take Scripture out together and study and talk about and discuss. To pray for one another. To send text messages to one another when we have concerns that we need prayer for. It's been fantastic for me. There's fellow pastors that I meet with every week. Every Thursday morning. At 8 o'clock we've been meeting I don't know how many years now. To share together. To talk about the struggles that we're experiencing as pastors. And we always end that time praying for one another. 
It has been such a blessing to me, such a rock for me over the years. I've enjoyed the youth in our congregation. I've had different times where I've been able to spend a lot of time with our youth and our young people, and I've benefited so much. There is no division between us, young or old. And yes, I'm getting in the older category. Many partners in the gospel. I think of my wife, Doris, who has been a tremendous partner in the gospel. Yes, we are one as husband and wife, but we are also one in ministry. What a tremendous blessing. I could go on about I've been blessed by the church. And yeah, of course, there are painful and difficult stories as well, as in any relationships. But we need to remember the oneness of Christ overcomes all difficulties and all differences. So in closing, I have a simple suggestion for you. I'd like you to make your own list of people. Maybe sometime today or this week. Write down a list of people who have blessed you in the church, who you appreciate. And you might want to take a moment to send them a text message or a note or a letter or an email or call them on the phone. But so often we get caught up in looking at all the differences and all of the division that we could see that, that is happening. But we just need to pull together and look at all of the things that we appreciate about the church. Celebrate the church. Love the church. Serve the church. Make the effort to connect and to care. Work together in partnership in the work of the gospel. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together. Let nothing bring division or separate us. Remember, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus prayed that we would be one, just as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. That's what he prayed for you and I. And that can be realized through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do this. It isn't something that we do ourselves. It is something that God is doing in us as the body of Christ. And so I hope that each of us can grab a hold of that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, and nothing can separate us who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to leave you with a passage from Ephesians 3 that I hope will encourage you as we think about all that God wants to do in the church. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.